here at 89.3 WMKV. Stay tuned for Real Life Real Estate Investing coming up next. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source for accurate, up-to-date, no-hype real estate investing education. And today, we have a very important topic. Some of you have heard the rumors that at the end of April, some new rules are going into effect regarding lead paint and the rehab of properties that are likely to have lead paint in them. And we are going to discuss what those rules are, why they're in place, uh, some of the effects uh, that lead paint has on residents. And uh, we are only going to be able to, to take your questions today via email at askvina at gmail.com. We have two very important guests that... Uh, we needed to have both of them on the phone at the same time, and that means our phone lines are tied up. So askvina at gmail.com is the way to ask your questions. And while you are doing that, uh, don't forget to come to the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting tomorrow if you are in the area I uh, have two great topics. The six o'clock early meeting is social media marketing for real estate investors. As you all probably know, the internet is one of the cheapest and easiest marketing tools out there, but uh, very few people really understand how to use it to buy properties, sell properties, rent properties, and so on. So we've got our resident social media expert, Miss Jen Griffin who's going to talk about how things like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, sites like that that you've heard of but never used can help you grow your business and uh, other neat things like how video can really, really increase your response rate, just all kinds of cool stuff. That's the 6 o'clock general meeting. The 7.30 main meeting is the hot issue of lead paint. And my guest today will also be the keynote speakers tomorrow. And of course, you know, here today we have like, I don't know, maybe 35 minutes together all together. Tomorrow they have a full 90 minute presentation where they can go over all of the pros and cons. And this is going to affect you, whether you are a landlord or a retailer or a wholesaler or if you're in real, if you're a homeowner. It's going to affect you. So uh, be aware that uh, you got your chance tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati meeting to find out more about this and uh, be sure to attend if you can. It is, of course, open to the public. More information at CincinnatiRIA.com or at 859-292-7342. My guests today are Carol Igo and Cynthia McCarthy. Carol is a behavioral psychology who has worked in the field of developmental disabilities since 1989. She's currently the public policy coordinator for Arc Hamilton County, which is a disability advocacy agency. Uh, my other guest is Cynthia McCarthy, who is a health inspector, licensed lead risk assess uh, assessor, and licensed lead abatement contractor with the city of 
Cincinnati Health Department and folks who are listening on the internet. Although this is uh, these folks are both local, these laws are federal. So don't think that just because you don't live in the city of Cincinnati, this does not affect you. Uh, welcome, Carol. Are you with us? Yes, I am. And can I use my speakerphone? Um, actually, uh, it's difficult often for us to hear you <laughs> since we've got like two people on the line already on a speakerphone. If you can use the earpiece, that actually makes it a lot easier for the, I, I don't know all the technicalities of the radio thing, but <laughs> it usually is easier with the, with the, uh, headset, uh, with the, you know, handset. Uh, and Cynthia, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay, uh, very good. Um, Carol, I wanted to start with you because you, you are more on the side of, of this whole issue of seeing what happens when children in particular are exposed to high lead levels, often through the paint in their homes. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you have seen, uh, uh, the effects of lead paint on children? Uh, can you hear me now? I switched my phone. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Um, of course, this is um, why we're all concerned about renovating right because of the effect that it has on developing children. Um, between the ages of really before birth till about age six, children's brains are developing, and because lead is a metal that actually can't be used by the body, um, it causes neurological damage that's actually irreversible. So here in Cincinnati at um, Children's Hospital and at the University of Cincinnati, um, we have some nationally known researchers who have been looking at brains now that we have new um, MRI processes and looking, following children from when they were identified as little kids all the way up into their 20s. So they are able to say, what the effects are, and they're able to say they don't go away. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, one of our most important discoveries is what happens from the neurotoxin of lead, like at age one, is not going to go away. It's going to be with the person all their life. And just a quick list, there's uh, lower IQ is one of the effects. Another one is reading disabilities, and another one is attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of these in kids, especially in our inner city schools. Um, I've worked in our inner city schools and I've helped parents try to understand what's happening and the teachers understand what's happening. And um, the, the kids really have a very hard time. The, they suffer because people don't understand their problems. Their parents suffer because the school's unhappy because the kids are having so many problems. And the kids suffer because they don't understand why they're getting into so much trouble and they can't learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is the current thinking in the medical and research community that uh, one of the biggest sources of this of, of, of lead in children's blood is coming from paint in the home? That seems to be the, the single most imp- uh, likely source. So any home that's built be- built before 1950 has been painted with a paint that has um, pretty strong... Um, quantity of lead in it because lead made the paint stronger and last longer. Homes built before 1978 will also more likely have lead in them in the paint. And it's that paint as it gets rubbed and turns into dust and flakes that is the source of the damage to the children's brains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, how, how does it get from the wall to the dust to the blood? Or is, it, is it being inhaled? Is it being swallowed? How, how, how is it actually getting into the kids? The most common is that um, a lot of dust forms, um, and if you think about it, um, when you open and close windows, that's the most common source of dust. Um, the two parts of the window, the frame and the window, rub against each other and that creates dust, and they, if the frame contains old paint, that's going to get loosened. Another one is uh, doors, the same situation where you have friction, you're going to create dust. Then if you have property that is uh, not maintained, um, mm, I, I don't want to say it that way. If you have um, old paint that's deteriorating in the property, whether it's because rain is coming through or because the paint has just not been covered for a long time and it's peeling, that's another source, but the most common source is um, friction 
of windows and doors. Mm-hmm. So and Cynthia knows a lot also. She is an expert on how lead gets into into homes uh, in the air so that kids breathe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they get it in by breathing it, by touching it, like if they play on the floor, um, by having, get, having their hands dirty and then eating later and getting it into their mouths that way. Mm-hmm. So if you just think about kids, how they are always doing something in their environment that's getting them, they're having fun, they're exploring, but they're also getting dust and dirt on them, and they may even pick up paint chips. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cynthia, uh, coming over to you, uh, mm-hmm. your your area of expertise is, is uh, of course, uh, around the abatement of this problem. <laughs> I think. Yeah, well, and, and also childhood lead poisoning prevention mm-hmm. in addition to the abatement. And I wanted to piggyback on what Carol was saying, that the children mainly get it through, through their mouth, through eating it off their hands. It can also be inhaled, but inhalation is generally more of an occupational exposure and it does not come through the skin unless possibly lighted gasoline is somehow on the skin. Mm-hmm. It can be absorbed that way. But that's, a, that's not very likely since leaded gasoline was phased out in the 1990s for the most part. Um, an additional place, though, for lead to show up in the home is from the soil. Um, the leaded gasoline that was used in cars, the lead actually passed through the car and out through the tailpipe as a, as a fume. And mm-hmm. then it settled into the soil and onto the surfaces of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, the the half-life of lead is a 1,000 years, so it's not going to dissolve or evaporate. A 1,000 years from today, there will be half as much lead as there is now. So in our lifetime, it's really going really to stick around. Um, so in high urban areas where there's been a lot of traffic, the ambient lead levels are high. That a, a study by the University of Cincinnati found that the sidewalks downtown in Cincinnati have an average lead level of 14,000 micrograms per square foot, and what we consider to be safe levels inside of a home is 40 micrograms per square foot. So it would be very easy to track in. Mm-hmm. So the lead, can, the lead dust, also from the paint, like Carol described, but the lead dust can also be tracked in from outside. Um, the dog or cat can bring it in. It can come in on the bottoms of your shoes. Um, there can be occupational exposures brought in on, on clothing. Mm-hmm. Someone that works uh, on cars or demol- demolishing buildings, remodeling. Um, there, there are several other occupations that can collect lead on the clothes, but I'd say probably remodeling is a is a big big one of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I want to remind uh, listeners that they can send in their questions today via email at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, we've already received one from uh, JC in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. who says, what amount of lead in a child's blood causes documented problems? They've documented problems as low as detectable amounts, which is two micrograms per deciliter. And um, in, in Ohio, a kid is considered lead poison when he's at 10 micrograms per deciliter. Mm-hmm. But they've but shown documentable um, effects as low as 2. And, and we go back to what um, we're finding out from the University of Cincinnati and Children's Hospital that we thought that 20 was the point at which there would be uh, serious damage. And then we changed our thoughts to 10. And some people, some jurisdictions now are saving, saying 5. But we've actually found out from research that even two is a level in which you're going to see long-term damage mm-hmm. uh, to the brain. Uh, it, it's just amazing. Actually, no lead um, in the blood is good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, a- now let me let me let me challenge uh, both of you with with this question because uh, Carol and I were having a, a conversation last week about uh, our shared experience growing up in Oakley, which is an older neighborhood here in, in Cincinnati, the houses there were built, you know, 1900 to probably 1930. And this was, this was back in, in the seventies when 50 micrograms per deciliter w- was considered the, the, the level of alarm. <laughs> and we were discussing whether it was even possible that we grew up without levels of lead in our blood that, that would today cause us to be taken in for chelation and, 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 and watched? Is it, is, it, is it a realistic goal to keep children's lead levels to zero? Well, first I want to address the idea of, of what the state of the paint was in the 1970s, because today that was 40 years ago, and the paint would have been in much better shape so that you wouldn't have had the levels of dust coming from the paint at that time. Um, 
as far as yeah, I, I can't answer the question about what our what our lead levels were back then or how that's affecting us today. But, <laughs> but I think um, we uh, we were. I was talking to a, uh, an OSHA specialist um, over at NIOSH who is really looking at um, what happens to workers who are exposed to lead, and she was trying to puzzle out um, why are certain parts of the population more affected and why was it. Is it more, uh, seems to have a bigger impact now than it did in the past? And, and she was pointing out a couple things. Um, one is what Cynthia pointed out was that um, lead was not necessarily, paint was in better condition. But then if you had paint from, like my house, 1919, of course by 1970, it was going to be needed to have been replaced. Um, but that um, one of the things that protects against lead poison is nutrition. Uh, lead um, is foreign to the body, and it has to it has to kind of mimic another uh, substance that the body does absorb to be able to be absorbed, and it mimics calcium. And so, a diet high in calcium protects against lead poison, and so does a diet high in iron. So, good nutrition is really important, and um, I think that our typical nutrition has really changed over the years. And I think the second point. Um, Lead is becoming recognized as an environmental hazard and a cause, uh, an environmental cause of disease, with many more environmental causes. And now that we have so many chemicals in our environment, in our homes, like, for example, um, pesticides, um, different kinds of um, things that um, get rid of bad smells in your house, mm-hmm. cleaning supplies. We are bringing many, many more chemicals into our environment that create a, I call it an environmental toxin load, so that a child could be more susceptible because it's exposed to so many more things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes, yeah that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. And we need, to, we need to take a quick break for some traffic and weather. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the new law and what it means. You can, get, call, you can uh, email your questions to askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859-292-7342. Checking on traffic right now, we have an accident North Bend at Winton, Westwood at Grand, 7th at Broadway downtown with injuries. Uh, accident also 2700 block of Westwood Northern Boulevard, Blair at Reading, Madison at Mormon with injuries, and a pair of disabled vehicles, one on North 75 north of Mitchell on the right shoulder and one North 71 between Smith Edwards and Ridge also on the right shoulder. Your weather forecast this evening, clear skies tonight, a low of 48 degrees, sunny tomorrow as we warm up even more into the upper 70s and maybe even hit 80 degrees on Friday with sunshine. Then we'll back off a little bit for the weekend, uh, Saturday sunny, a high of 78. Sunday, a slight chance of morning showers, otherwise partly cloudy later in the day on Easter Sunday, a high of 68. And then on Monday opening day, mostly sunny with a high of 72. Right now, 70 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. If you love music, you'll love WMKV's evening lineup tonight. At 8 p.m. after Mystery Playhouse, it's Hit Parade Highlights. At 9 o'clock tonight, Don't Miss In Concert. And at 10 p.m., Barbershop Harmony. Followed at 11 p.m. by Music Till Midnight. Your favorites are right here every day on 89.3 FM, WMKV, the way radio was and is meant to be. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Today we're talking about the new lead rules. And uh, I have not one but two guests, uh, Carol Igo, who is a behavioral psychologist, and Cynthia McCarthy, who is a health inspector, lead risk assessor, and licensed lead abatement contractor with the City of Cincinnati Health Department. Uh, We have um, been talking up until now, uh, just sort of trying to impress on everybody the importance of keeping, and of course for our audience, uh, our rental properties in particular and properties that we uh, might be reselling in, in lead safe condition because it's, it's, it's bad stuff 
when uh, one of your tenant's kids uh, ingests some of this lead somehow and on top of other issues uh, can find themselves with all sorts of problems that can't ever be solved, lowered IQs, reading disabilities, behavioral disabilities. Now, uh, Cynthia, let's talk about this new these new rules that are going into effect on April 22nd. W- what is it that they cover? Okay, these are new rules promulgated by the EPA, federal rules. They cover any work that is done on a property for um, pay that disturbs more than six six square feet, um, but any time that you're changing out windows, that needs to be addressed by someone who's had this eight hours of specialized training. It's called Renovation Repair and Painting Training, RRP training is what we refer to it as. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you, say, when you say disturbing more than six square feet, you could be talking about anything from removing a kitchen cabinet to replace it? Yes. To replacing a window, replacing a door. Um, it's really, it would be safest to just not even count that as an exception, to just use lead-safe practices with every bit of work to protect yourself from liability mm-hmm. uh, as far as causing lead poisoning in a child. Mm-hmm. It takes such a small amount of lead to be over um, the allowable limits. If a child shows up with lead poisoning and then you end up having to have uh, a, a risk assessment done from the state level, um, if they find levels of lead over the regulatory amounts, then you're involved in doing the repairs with a licensed lead abatement contractor, which is much more expensive. So you want to do your repairs originally in a lead-safe way and just avoid that entirely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let's let's talk about what types of properties th- this applies to, because uh, in, the, in the lead disclosure law that uh, EPA uh, promulgated about, well, around 1996, uh, it it had some exceptions. Uh, properties well, with zero bedrooms, properties built yeah, after 1978. Be, this is going to be easier to talk about the exceptions here. So you have to meet all of these exceptions, all of them, in order to not have to follow the RRP rule. So it has to be owner-occupied, no children under the age of six re- residing there, no pregnant women residing there, and it's not a child-occupied facility, which would be something like a school or a daycare. Mm-hmm. So all of those would have to be in place mm-hmm. to not use the RRP. So anytime that you're, you're doing maintenance on a property where you don't live, where, where you're the landlord or um, a property owner, then then you have to follow these RRP rules. Mm-hmm. And does that include in vacant homes that might be under rehab? Well, that I shall refer to Carol. My understanding is yes, but this is not a program that we've been administering yet. Mm-hmm. And my area of expertise is homes where there's already been a child with lead poisoning. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think uh, the way Cynthia described um, the exceptions, you can see that uh, the question is going to be, can you predict that in this home that is vacant that you will never have a family with children under six or a woman who's pregnant? And I, I think... Those are the kinds of questions that are very um, problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's always that risk, but we're going to actually check between now and tomorrow night, and we're going to double-check on the uh, vacant home um, question. I think that's a good one. That also, another thing is if you have a property where children under six routinely visit, like a grandmother, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, say at least twice a week, that would be considered a home where there are children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, this is this is pretty sweeping legislation, and I, I know that uh, the EPA and the federal government have for years been trying to nail down a standard mm-hmm. for work on uh, any property that might potentially have lead paint, and it's taken from 1996 to 2010 for them to for them to actually come up with something that that they could they could say, all right, this applies throughout the country to let's face it, almost all homes, the, the exceptions are, are, are pretty, you know, there, there aren't that many uh, exceptions. And what they are really around is how work has to be done in those properties. Yes. And can you give me some examples of some of the things that we're going to be facing as a, as a technical issue? If I want to uh, replace a window, what all is going to have to happen now for me to do that? Well, first of all, you're going to have to, to 
hire a company that's certified under the IRP rule, or if you're doing the work, you need to be certified. You need to be a, um, a certified worker and have had that eight-hour course. So what you might do differently than normal would be to um, take a utility knife and cut through the paint around the uh, stops instead of just popping them off. Mm-hmm. So you'd want to cut the paint so when you, when you do pry it off, you're not going to pop off pieces of paint. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to want to have your um, heavy-duty polyurethane plastic down around the window, probably at least five feet in every direction. And um, you're going to want to um, keep everything damp with a mister. Mm-hmm. This is all to keep the dust down. That's mm-hmm. really what the goal is. Mm-hmm. And then remove the window and wrap it in heavy plastic on site and then carry it out. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot more attention paid to, um, to stirring up dust. You want to make sure that you cover the vents in that room or even cover the vents and shut off the furnace and air conditioning, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, so that the dust doesn't get carried throughout the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you, don't, you want the people who live there to leave while the work is being done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really the most, that's a very important step. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing is your cleanup. Um, you're going to want to not reuse that piece of plastic, but mist down the dust, fold the plastic in, dirty side in, very carefully, dispose of it in a heavy contractor bag, and then clean the site when you're finished with a HEPA vacuum Mm -hmm. and wipe everything down with a wet cloth. Um, There's also provisions about testing your work with a white cloth and comparing it against a card, and I imagine you receive this when you do your training. Um, So it's sort of a self-test at the end to see if you've got it visually clean enough. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, note to self, buy stock in a company that makes plastic uh, drop cloths <laughs> and, and HEPAVACs. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and I know you guys are going to go through in a lot more detail. And we, you know, this, this is not that long a program. So you guys are going to go through in a lot more detail uh, some of the specifics about how, how this needs to be done tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association meeting. And again, people can learn more about that by going to CincinnatiRIA.com. But uh, you've mentioned several times that there is an eight-hour class that our contractors need to need to take, and I assume pass, and that uh, anyone who's doing their own remodeling would need to take and pass in order to even be legally allowed to do this work. Well, That's the, the right. owner-occupants can do it <laughs> if they don't have children and pregnant women at home. Without taking the course. That's our exemption. But, uh-huh. yes, everyone needs this eight-hour class. Um, if you're making money at doing this work, that's your rule of the thumb. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And making money isn't, isn't just I got paid by somebody to do it. It's my, it's, it's my rental unit, and I am turning it over. That, yes. is also, that also counts. Yeah, that's correct. Because <laughs> I, I knew someone was going to ask that when you said doing it for pay. I knew someone was going to say, well, what if I don't pay myself? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, another thing is... Um, it sounds like um, we've taken a really long time, you said since 1993, and now suddenly we're coming up with these standards, but the standards were pretty much written in um, 2006 in a formal way as they are now, and the deadline of April of this year was put in. Of course, it was easy to do in 2006 because, it w- I mean, 2008 is the right term, because it was, we had two years to wait, but this has been in the works for quite some time. I think people didn't notice it coming, mm-hmm. and that's been why there's been a lot of sort of panic right now. How am I going to get the course? And I wanted to tell you, um, uh, Bill Menrath at the University of Cincinnati is, uh, has a EPA grant, and he provides free um, RRP training. And I emailed him today just to check on the status of his classes. His classes that are free are filled up until September, but he has... Uh, classes that you have to pay for. Mm-hmm. And he said that the uh, the cost would be reduced if, for example, um, the Real Estate Investors Association wanted to uh, register as a group, the cost would be reduced. Mm-hmm. And I have the phone number, uh, I thought I had it right in front of me, um, somewhere, I'll, I'll have it tomorrow, of uh, the woman to call to find to register for the class. And, ch- and for, just, just, just let me just... To see if they're going to be uh, continuing their RRP classes and um, they are out of their funding right now, but they're applying for a renewal of their grant, and they expect that in the fall. So there will be 
those sources where there's lower cost training available in the city of Cincinnati. And I think, Cynthia, is the EPA at UC available for people who are outside the city of Cincinnati? I don't. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, we don't know that one. Well, uh, just just as a as a side note for our folks who are listening from outside the area. Uh, where you would go to look for this training would be places like your local health department, uh, local universities, uh, places like that. And it's a great idea if you have a local real estate investors association to approach one of these places as a group and say, look, there's going to be 30 of us. Can we get some kind of a discount on this? Because you know, a, lot, a lot of folks are going to have to take these classes themselves or run their contractors through them because you cannot expect your contractors to even be aware of this. Yeah, the homeowners need to know to ask for this when they're hiring contractors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a phone number at the National Lead Information Center that might have information uh, okay. across the country for training. Uh-huh. It's it's one eight hundred four two four lead, which is five three two three. Okay, one eight hundred four two four lead might be able to get you some information outside the greater Cincinnati area on lead training classes. Now, who who is enforcing all of this? What what government body is enforcing all of this, and and what are some of the penalties for doing it wrong? Uh, the EPA is enforcing it to begin with, but states can apply to enforce it on their own. I know the state of Ohio Health Department is applying for that status, and. Um, as far as fines go, I'm not sure. They just increased them, actually, at the beginning of this year. Hmm. Um, but I know that for the disclosure laws uh, that involve lead, the fines are $11,000 per um, infraction. Mm-hmm. So I imagine they're going to be in the thousands. It's $33,000. Wow. Uh, if you're doing uh, RRP work without certification. But um, I was talking to the man at the Ohio Department of Health in, who had has heading up this um, initiative to bring um, certification uh, to the state of Ohio instead of having it be just nationally through the EPA. Mm-hmm. And he said the fines, they, were re- they have a different fine schedule that's very different from the one that the EPA has. Um, and now it's a whole process. Some states are already um, have permission from EPA to do their own training and certification. And so I, it's a process. It's not just going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ohio will be able to provide its uh, certification. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. When we t- come back, we're going to answer some listener questions that have come in at askvina at gmail.com. If you have questions about this whole process, what it means to you, the training, uh, comments, whatever you'd like, askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Programming on WMKV is supported by the Knowles of Oxford. The Knowles of Oxford is now building new spacious cottages in their development Redbud Trace on campus. The Knowles offers an active retirement with all the benefits of a college town. More information about the new Redbud Trace cottages and the entire Knowles campus is available at 513-524-7990. That's 513 513- Five two four seven nine nine zero. Checking on traffic right now. Watch out for an accident in Clifton at Straight Street. Also eastbound two seventy five east of forty two, uh, blocking the two left lanes. An accident. Beekman at Westwood Northern Boulevard. Westwood at Grand. Uh, also twenty seven hundred block of Westwood Northern Boulevard. It could be the one at Beekman. I'm not sure. Uh, also Blair at Reading are accidents, and of course we have delays this afternoon as well. Your forecast tonight, clear skies, a low of 48 degrees, sunny tomorrow with a high of 78. Could see 80 degrees with sunshine on Friday, and then we'll come back down a little bit back into the 70s Saturday and Sunday. Slight chance of rain Saturday night into Sunday morning, but otherwise Sunday and Monday both look good. Highs in the upper 60s, lower 70s. Right now we're at 70 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. This is WMKV Station Director George Zahn. As you may have heard, WMKV came up short on our spring fund drive. We hope that if you missed the drive, perhaps you were out of town or it was inconvenient to pledge at the time, that you'll call and pledge now. We can still make up that lost ground. We thank each supporter who helped WMKV already, along with our phone volunteers and our challenge match companies. If you missed the drive, we welcome your support now. You can do it securely online at WMKVFM.org or by calling 513-782-2427. We thank you so much in advance for your support. 
Right now, you can make a major difference. No pledge is too large or too small. 513-782-2427 or WMKVFM.org. And thank you for your support of Public Radio WMKV. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today about one of those one of those things we talk about on Real Life Real Estate that it isn't sexy. It's not going to make you money. In fact, it's going to cost you some money to go out and get the certification that you need. But it's so important. You just got to know about it. My guests are Carol Igo, who is a behavioral psychologist, and Cynthia McCarthy, who is with the City of Cincinnati Health Department and the uh, Child Ledhood Poisoning Prevention Program. And uh, Carol and Cynthia, I was just checking online for any current information about the uh, uh, training. And according to Congressman Tim Bishop's office, the EPA has only registered, and this, this article came out today, 135 accredited trainers throughout the entire country. And as of today, there are 13,669 certified renovators throughout the country. And 13,000 certified renovators wouldn't be able to do the renovation, renovations just in Ohio. So <laughs> we, are, we are behind on this. Um, the, the, and you, as you say, the classes are, are largely full. Uh, there aren't a lot of providers in the first place. And uh, this is April 22nd, these, these rules take effect. You can go on the EPA, and you're right, you put your finger on the fact that the EPA did not, even though these, this date, remember I said it was, uh, this date was set in April 2008. So for two years, it's been, you know, in public knowledge, but EPA did not push and warn and remind and nag people like you've got to get ready. So in a way, they've been cut, sh- they've been caught a little short. Um, you can go to the EPA website and and just uh, go- uh, look for t- training, and they have a list of training uh, by calendar, by the day of the week, all over the country, and then they have a list of trainings by state. Mm-hmm. And there are some. Up more providers besides the ones I mentioned to you, which are low-cost providers mm-hmm. locally. Mm-hmm. There's other providers who just do uh, training on all kinds of um, work uh, requirements and environmental uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. And this is that's that's EPA.gov mm-hmm. for those who are uh, looking that up right now. And if you look under yeah. uh, lead, there's a there's a there's actually a tab there that says lead. And then you can go to the training providers tab, and they can tell you who, as of today is, in fact, licensed to teach you. And it's not enough. (laughs) And it's not nearly enough. enough. I mean, 135 over 50 states. Mm -hmm. You know, that's less than, what is that, three per state? That's not good. (laughs) Okay, so um, uh, we have a a couple of questions here uh, from listeners. Uh, One of these is kind of more along the the legal lines, and I don't know if you guys want to address this. It says, what liability protection might you be afforded for following the practices since you can't get insurance that covers the risk of lead poisoning in children is having the RRP training and doing the repairs correctly recognized as a legal defense? In the state of Ohio, there is an opportunity to keep maintenance records um, to defend yourself against liability and to show that your, your home is lead safe. And I would refer to the Ohio Administrative Code for that or call um, the Ohio Department of Health to get more information on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in Ohio, there are provisions for that for the landlord who does the work with an RRP or a licensed lead abatement contractor and keeps uh, certain prescribed maintenance forms. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have another question here from Dean in Cincinnati. And again, this is a little bit maybe outside your area of expertise, but maybe you do know about it. He, he says, while we certainly want to protect the health of everyone, especially children, what are these federal agencies doing about foreign toy imports from China and other nations which have been found to contain lead paint that peels off? Well, I know that the consumer, um, Cynthia, is a consumer regulatory agency. Is that the exact name of the consumer information? Yeah, well, in my head, I can't think of what that's um, called. Consumer I, safety... Know, I don't know. Some agency. Yeah. They, they maintain a, a pretty updated list of toys now um, that could be problematic. 
Mm-hmm. And you're right, toys coming in from foreign countries, and I think China was the bad guy uh, a couple Christmases ago, um, they, they don't have the same safety precautions either in the lead in the toy or in the lead in the paint. But um, the, consu- it's the Consumer Protection Agency run, has a spot on its website where you can actually go and take a look. Mm-hmm. And don't forget there's also soil, especially under the drip line of, of old homes, too, or driveways. And there's also water, water issues with lead. So it's not just the paint, but the paint, it seems to be the biggest culprit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and as you've been talking, one of the, one of the scenarios that has, that has popped into my mind repeatedly is that it's, it's often the case with uh, our older housing in this part of the country, that it's it's wood siding. It's been painted 50 times in the 150 years the house has been standing. And yet it's still, I mean, you can still see that it, it's, it's alligatored and talking and all of that sort of stuff. And one of the uh, sort of, call it, call it, you know, common, common wisdom, whether it's wise or not, uh, ways to resolve that is to put siding on the house, thus sort of encasing the lead. But that is certainly going to require. I were talking for, the, for the, the the rule for the exterior appears to be twenty square feet of of paint re- uh, disturbed, and of course we're talking about nailing siding into an entire house. So that's that's I, I assume going to be another uh, project that is going to require this sort of certification. Yes, and siding is a good fix for it. It's considered a permanent fix, an abatement as opposed to an interim control, mm-hmm. if it's properly properly done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, besides the siding on the sides, there's also the soffits and the fascia that you have to consider. And um, we're at the ARC of Hamilton County, where I work, we're um, working with a family where a child, family bought a new ho- uh, old house that they were renovating, and um, they hadn't thought about the fascias and the soffits, and their child was lead poisoned in now qualifies for mental retardation services, and it turns out on the lead inspection that that was coming down the drip line, that was where the lead was coming from, it was getting in the soil, and then it was appearing in the basement in dust, and then it was circulating through the house. So it just shows you that you have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about um, uh, whenever the federal government hands down one of these uh, big requirements for uh, a new way of doing things, they often will also uh, create grants or low-cost loans or things like that to uh, help with some of the some of the major abatements. Are are those around? Are they going to come down the pike? Here in Cincinnati, there we do have two HUD grants. Um, each for $3 million. One's being administered by the health department. The other's being administered by our community development department. Um, but I, I can't speak for how that money's being distributed on a, on a nationwide level. Mm-hmm. Oh. It really depends on the locality. For example, in New Jersey, there's a statewide project where um, money is um, available either in kind of a um, forgivable loan after a certain period of time or short-term grants. And um, some of that depends on the income of a homeowner, and some of it is through landlords um, on the forgivable grants if the landlord keeps up the property for three years, I think it is in New Jersey. So different states have different um, commitments to using public money. It also depends on being able to find a source of funds in the state that will keep those funds going so that there's some way to get money back into the system and that can pay for the grants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there there may be some of those around both for, I would assume, the educational process as well as actually doing the work, but uh, are, you, are you tending to see them more around abatement work? I mean, truly uh, removing the sources of the lead? Yeah. The, what, what, what our grants address is we call it lead hazard control, and there's two different ways to control a lead hazard. One is considered permanent, and that's what we call abatement. And the other is an interim control, which is something that needs continuing maintenance. But both of them would remove the lead hazard. Mm-hmm. And there's a priority given um, on awarding the grants to, um, to uh, properties where a child has been identified as uh, lead poisoned, unfortunately, because the funds are limited. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, got another listener question here. This one is from Cynthia in Lawrenceburg. She says, does this only apply to properties where there are known lead paint hazards? In other, one, in other words, ones where a licensed inspector has said that there is lead in the house. No, they apply to all housing over 1978, or that was built prior to 1978, unless it's been proved otherwise with a paint inspection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you've, if, you've had a, if you've had a lead clearance test, your house has been declared, I don't remember what they officially call it, but doesn't have lead in it. Uh, well, that's not, it would be that on the day of the clearance that there were not lead hazards present. Mm-hmm. So it depends on, on the maintenance that's done afterwards, whether it was abated or, or whether it had interim controls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you, had, if you had a really good job of renovation done, of remodeling, you would have to keep that up because in five years, we all know how the world works. In five years, you're going to have to really probably do some more maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't just say, like, once you do uh, renov- uh, the repair, uh, the remodeling, and the painting, that it's a lo- it, that that's it forever. Mm-hmm. It, it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, one of the things that uh, I think we really need to impress on our listeners, wherever they are in the United States, is that the EPA and the states are very serious about uh, compliance, with this program. And that means that if you have what a lot of real estate investors, landlords have, which is Joe, the handyman who comes and fixes your, you know, comes and comes and does work for you on your properties. When something goes wrong, he's not, you know, he's not with a remodeling company. He wouldn't have uh, associations with the national Institute of home remodelers who would have told their members by now that they need to get this. You cannot assume that he has this certification and you cannot assume that he is doing repairs in a lead safe way you need to look at his certificate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so so folks who graduate from these classes are actually going to get a certificate we can look at apply to each they get a certificate they have to apply to epa and then in ohio they also have to be uh, that have to be processed by the state of ohio as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's a three-step process and and of course there is step four which is um no disrespect to remodelers of any sort but i think all three of us know perfectly well that there will be people who have the certification who still don't do this the way it ought to be done because it's hard <laughs> because it's it's it, it requires more steps than just going in and removing the window and replacing it uh by the time you put down the plastic and use the hepa back and uh, cover the vents and so on so uh owners out there probably in the pro- in in your process of site visits just because somebody has the certification you also need to know what to look for to make sure they are using the yes. safe practices there's some great um pamphlets available from the EPA if you call that 1800 1-800- 424-LED, you can request um, Renovate Right, which is the newest pamphlet they have on renovating. Um, They've got a pamphlet called Steps to Lead Safe Renovation, Repair, and Painting Mm -hmm. that has a lot of useful information in it. And you can browse the site for other things. They've got masses of of materials to review. Good, Good information. Um, and we, we got, we have one more listener question here. This one is from Mark in Cincinnati. He says, if I have already gotten the training in lead safe practices before this new standard, does it have any effect on what I am going to be compelled to do now in the way of additional training? He's probably going to need to take a, a refresher course, which is a four hour course in order to be certified. I'm not sure that they grandfathered in the, the uh, eight-hour training that was provided before this came out. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a six-hour training, Cynthia. That's why I keep hearing people say that there was a six-hour training, and if you took that, then now you take the four-hour refresher course and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure you have to take at least the refresher. Uh-huh. And, and people who are already licensed abatement contractors, even though they've had 40 hours of training, still have to take the four hours to comply with the RRP if they're doing anything other than lead abatement as prescribed under our Ohio state law, at least here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so listeners, April 22nd is your drop-dead date. 
after that time, if you are not certified and your contractors are not certified, you are in violation of the law. You are facing some pretty stiff potential penalties as well as, of course, liability if one of your uh, one of your tenant's kids or your buyer's kids turns up later on with lead poisoning. If you are in the Cincinnati area... You are welcome to attend the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting tomorrow evening. That is at the usual location at the Jordan Crossing at the corner of Reading and Seymour, where my two guests this afternoon are going to be presenting a full 90 minutes on uh, everything that needs to happen here for you to uh, become certified and work in your properties in a lead-safe way. Uh, that meeting is at 7.30 at 6 o'clock. Uh, again, Jen Griffin will be talking about social media marketing for real estate investors. And Cynthia and Carol, I really appreciate you being on the air today and helping to educate us about this this thing that is coming at us like a freight train. It's our pleasure. Pro- probably, Thank pro- you. probably a show we should have done in 08. Uh, yes. <laughs> then we wouldn't be in this of uh, feeling like we have to rush to get ready. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Carol and Cynthia. And again, you can join them tomorrow night at the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meeting. In the meantime, don't forget to go to realliferealestateradio.com where you can join 3,600 plus other fans of Real Life Real Estate Investing and find out how to download bunches of Real Life Real Estate Investing shows. Absolutely no charge when you're a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing at realliferealestateradio.com. We'll be back next week to give you more information to put you onto the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. the memories love the memories it's like an old friend it's something that i listen to when i get up in the morning first thing with my two